Hi everyone and welcome to Lift Your Life. Today my guest is, I'm very honoured to have this guest with me actually, uh, it is a Guinness World Record holder in the seated deadlift, uh, strongman Martin Tai. Martin, how you doing mate, you okay? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks for having me on. No problem at all, no problem at all. How are things in Farnborough? <laughs> Pretty much where the rest of the world is. Um, yeah. We're still in lockdown, um, but we're dealing with it and uh, it, it's going well. Actually, lockdown has been really good for me. Okay. Why has it been really good for you? Um, so coming into the first lockdown, I had nowhere to train, um, which was a bad thing. Um, and I lost nearly two and a half stone over the first lockdown, um, just not being able to train very much. Um and then we had we made the decision that we were going to build a gym. Um, so between the lockdown, between the lockdowns, we managed to get that in and up and running. And uh, yeah, I'm probably in one of the best shapes I've been in strength-wise. I have been seeing your videos on Instagram, and to be honest, your gym looks amazing. So you've done a cracking job there, and it looks like you're pumping hard and you're working out really, really hard. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm sponsored by ATX, which makes the equipment, um, because obviously the amount of equipment I've got in there and the weights that I have to lift, it would it would be very uh, expensive, let's say. <laughs> I um, can imagine. So, yeah, so it was brilliant. We managed to some, come to a deal um, and get the kit out, and it means I can do, rather than just doing what most other guys are doing with minimum weights, just a bit of tick over training, I can actually really hit strength training hard and put some mass back on and muscle. That's really good. I mean, myself, uh, as a powerlifter, I've been doing very minimal weights, uh, but just doing loads and loads of reps. Uh, yeah. I'm not used to that. As it's, you know, it's it's no more than five reps. More than that, it's, uh, it's cardio, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't like cardio. <laughs> no, we definitely do not like cardio. So, Martin, have you always been in farm, right? Is, is that where you've um, been brought up? Uh, no. So, my my father was actually in the military himself. Uh, I was born in Colchester, and then we grew up for most of a young childhood in Germany. Um, okay. And all my all my family come from the Leicester area, um, and I just moved down here when I got posted down here, um, and then. Obviously, after the incident, you know, I stayed down here. I had kids anyway, so, so yeah. And, I'm, and to be honest, you know, it's nicer weather down here than it is up in Leicester, so. <laughs> it, it is. I'm not far from Leicester myself. I used to work in Leicester, so, uh, yeah. I, I'm sure the weather is definitely a lot better down, better down yeah. your way. <laughs> Good. Okay, so if we talk about your early life. So you mentioned that you uh, grew up, was it, did you grow up in Germany then? Did you go to school and stuff in Germany or? Yeah, so I, um, it was only when I was dead young, um, and I did kindergarten and then started uh, started a bigger school over there. Um, my dad was posted over there for a while, and then in the mid-1990s, we came, uh, 19, sorry, we came, we came over um, back to England, and then we settled in Leicester. Okay, and then... So your predominant schooling was in Leicester then, was it? Um, well, yeah, I went, I, I, so when I got, yeah, when I get, came to Leicester, I, I, I went to, I think I did a wide junior school and then went up to high school. Um, and then actually I, I got packed off the boarding school for, for the last couple of years because uh, I was a little bit of a naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good. Okay. And what was your uh, so? Was it because of your father that you decided to go into the military, or no? Um, so, so growing up, I always wanted to be um, a chef in the army. I don't know why, um, but I always wanted to do it. And uh, I mean, I realised that it wasn't actually a very good job at all. You'd have to wake <laughs> up in the morning, and yeah, and yeah, and you're basically not being a chef. You're just warming stuff up. So I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and then at the, at the time when I joined up, um, me and my mate who lived together, we were bumming around just doing jobs, living from one party to the next. And we were like, right, we need to do something now. So we just went, decided let's join the army. Um, went into the careers office, didn't know what we wanted to join in the army, just, just went in. Um, at, at, at the time of going in the office, I had 29 piercings in my face. I walked in, <laughs> I walked in. And he basically kicked me out and told me to get away out my face. So we went back in and uh, we were flicking through the brochure and we didn't have a clue. So we we're just going to stop it. So we just stopped it and goes, that's what we want to do. Petroleum operator. Didn't even have a clue what that was or what it entailed. Um, uh, yeah. And that, that's basically how I, how I got into the army. Okay. So uh, a very, um, let's just say, it seems like a very spontaneous kind of move in, into the army yeah yeah um yeah i i, I outlasted my friend he uh yeah he left uh, a few years um before uh, my incident so i outlasted him i actually i really enjoyed the army um you know it was kind of like i always say it was my university because that's when i got to go out with the guys drinking on the weekend and you know it's one big family really and i did really enjoy it um you know, the work sucked, but when it doesn't work, suck. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and then while you were in the army, did you, um, were you into like training and doing weights, keeping fit or? Um, so, well, we all have to be to a certain standard of fitness to be in the military. Um, but for a few years, I went and boxed for them. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't a great boxer. But it got me in a tracksuit for a couple of years, so I thought, well, why not? <laughs> um, and I used to box at, what, 83 kilos, which is pretty much half of me. <laughs> we've all been there, Martin. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So how many years was it in total that you were in the, the army for then? Uh, I think it was about 12 by the time I got out. About 12 years. Yeah. And what was your uh, actual job title effectively in the army? Uh, so I was rank of Lance Corporal and my job title was Petroleum Operator, which basically means when we go into a fit of war um, to supply all the, the, the vehicles with fuel and stuff, we have to build big fuel installations and, uh, and do cross-country pipelining. Uh, went out to the Falklands and did ship-to-shore pipelining and stuff, mixing aviation fuels and stuff. Um, and that, yeah, so that was the title. Not that we got to do the job very often, because obviously you're a soldier first and then a tradesman second. Yeah. Um, and then Afghanistan. So you were posted in Afghanistan. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I'll go through my posting. So I started, my first posting was in Northern Ireland. Um, then I got to go out to Cyprus, um, Iraq, the Falkland Islands, and and then Afghanistan. Um, in 2009, I got posted out there. It was my first tour out there. 
and our, our jobs were basically to be a glorified taxi service for high-ranking individuals in the capital, Kabul, taking them around to all the big diplomatic embassies and stuff. Um, we went... We knew we were going to be a target out there when we when we went out. It was a few weeks before the first elections out there. Um, so we, by the time we get out there, we were only a couple of days away from it. So we knew we knew straight away we were going to be a high high target out there. Um, so we flew into Kandahar um, and we got bogged down there for a while because we were taking in mortar fire, which means you can't fly on to wherever you're going. Uh, we, fi we finally flew out to Kabul, got there, we did a little bit of training and a little bit of getting used to the layout of everything. And yeah, on one of the details, we it wasn't a particularly big detail or anything. We were basically just going around to drop somebody at the food supplier. So we have civilian contractors work for us and they have their own depots within Kabul. Uh, and we were basically just going from our base around to, to the compound. Um, and what I've been told is we came around a corner. And as we came around a corner, a vehicle speeding up to me and crashed into my side of the vehicle and then detonated himself. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> Comes with a job. <laughs> it, you know, like... For you guys, it probably does sound crazy and stuff, but but for us, you know, this was happening day in, day out. You know, a couple of days before I was here, we had a suicide bomber on the front gate, and you know, it was a, it was, it's not normal, but it was normal. We, you know, we we knew it was coming. Like nobody thinks it's going to be them, but we knew it was going to happen while we were out there. So your mindset compared to, let's say, a normal. A normal individual like myself is going to be completely different when you're out there so with you and your colleagues out there how were you what were you thinking even though you knew that potentially these are the dangers you know it's out there but how do you just crack on with normal life i, I always say this to people when you stand on the side of a robot a curb are you scared for your life no it's not something you more people die in the world of crossing a road than getting blown up in IEDs. Um, so, so it's, there. it's always around, but but it's just you know you're there to do a job and you do it to the best of your abilities. I think what it, it was a very difficult situation in Kabul because everybody looked the same. They weren't holding signs on them that said terrorist, so they fit in with the locals. And I think what made it extremely hard is. The local people are actually very nice people. Um, and, you know, okay, so we got injured, but the amount of locals that got injured was just crazy. Um, so, so it's not something you go into thinking, oh, today is going to be today sort of thing. Um, you just do your, be your job to the best of your ability and what will happen, happen. It's incredible stuff. Um... Yeah, for, for someone like ourselves, like you said, it's something that you see something in a movie. Um, things are that happening. Um, so that incident's happened. And then what were the next steps? What sort of, what sort of do you remember <laughs> coming out of it? So the next thing I actually have any recognition is um, I was 
So I was waking up in Selly Oaks in Birmingham, which is, was the military hospital there. I was coming out of a coma. Uh, the drugs they give you to bring you out of the, drug, the coma are psychedelic drugs. Um, so they make you hallucinate. So my, my first recollection was I was, um, I was being caught by the locals and they were keeping me alive to... Uh, to torture me more later on, um, which was that uh, I'm not going to lie, that was a little bit of a scary thought bath there, uh, and it and it's it was so real in my head at the time as well. Um, you know, I punched one of the nurses that came over to me because I was I wasn't I wasn't in a hospital in my head. Um, so yeah, that that was quite crazy, and then um, not being able to breathe as well, you know, it's pretty hard. Um, so I've got a lot of internal lung damage from the blast. Um, so even when I came out of my coma, I was on like 90% oxygen or something. It was crazy. Um, and if I took my mask off, I just couldn't get the air into my lungs properly. Um, not only that, my voice box shut down, so I couldn't talk, eat or drink. So I couldn't tell anyone anything. And it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty hard. Um, and then probably the next thing was my mum being there beside me. And I was like, was beside me and I whispered to her, you know, what the hell are you doing out here? It's dangerous. And she was like, we're in England, we're in England. And I was convinced that we weren't. Um, so convinced I made her go and get a paper to prove it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how convinced I was. <laughs> it still in Afghanistan. Um, it, yeah, it was a, a very surreal time coming out of that coma. Those drugs are like... <laughs> um, and I stayed in ICU for a long time, a lot longer than most other injuries. Even people that, that you would see that you would look at and say they're more injured than me, like double amputees or triple amputees. Um, but because of my lungs and everything, I just they, they wouldn't let me out. So I stayed a long time in ICU until I could get a bit more of, of, of my lungs working to take more oxygen in. Um, and then, then the fun starts, because then all the little operations, now they've saved your life. So initially in triage, they're there to save your life. We're not there to fix a broken bone or anything like that, but to keep you alive. Um, and then after that, then we started having other operations. So I had metal work put in my knees, in my shoulder. Um, and then and then from that, when they deem you to be um, uh, when they deem you to be, I don't want to say better because you're not better, but but they think you're safe enough to go out then you go home for a short period of time and then and then after that you get taken across to Headley Court which at the time was the Regional Rehabilitation Centre for the military. I spent probably about three and a half years in and out of Headley Court. Um, they weren't sure if I was going to walk again, um, there was loads of other operations I needed uh, loads of physiotherapy and mentally that's when it's, things started to go a little bit wrong. Um, they had they had military people in there that would talk to you like soldiers, but, but I wasn't a soldier anymore. Like I wasn't out of the military; I was still in. But up there, I, I, I was never I was never going to be a soldier again. So why are you trying to do this? Um, and then even with rehabilitation, I kind of just switched off because mentally I just didn't want to do it. You know, I thought, thought to myself, well, this is it. This is my life. It's ruined now. Just bother all I can do. How um, old were you at this point, Martin? Sorry? How old were you at this point? 
about 30. Still no, very no, young, no, 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 not 30, sorry. Uh, not 30. Um, 20, 24, 25, I would have wow. been. Very young. Very, very young. No, I was one of the oldest in there. And, and that's one of my other things that shocked me, you know. Um, when I got to Eddie Court, I thought, I'm going to be the young guy. And I wasn't. It was filled with 18-year-olds. It was filled with kids, basically. Um, yeah, and it was... A, it was a cra crazy when I got there because I was so convinced that you know I was going to be the young one and, and, and I got there and I was like whoa um, but that's the way the army is at the moment you know it, it, it's full of young kids because nobody else wants to join or, or stay in yeah and, you know you can't you can't take it away from guys but you know we go out there we do a couple of tours out there and you know some of the stuff you see is you, you can never switch that off again um, and then knowing that you need to go back out there and back out there, the guys are like, no, I've, I've done my bit now, I'm getting out. And, and, you know, you just can't blame them for that. Um, but obviously with that happening, it means the military keeps getting younger and younger. You said that at that point in time, you got to the point where mentally it was really starting to affect you where you were just switching off. Um, and I'm taking it, this is during your, your rehabilitation time yeah yeah so i was under a psychiatrist um and re relaxation and we tried everything and um one of my biggest issues is i have a thing called survivor guilt i was a commander of my vehicle and i lost an american who is sitting directly behind me and my driver who was on the left hand side of me um, broke his back in the incident as well. So I, I had survivor guilt. And one of my biggest issues with therapists, they were going through and they were going, look, you're a trained soldier. You would have done what you're trained to do. So you can't blame yourself. But I cannot remember. I've got no recollection of the bomb going off in my head. Um, so at the end of every argument, I could say, yeah, you know what? I was a, I, I was a trained soldier and I did do stuff right. But I don't know if I did it on that day. You can't that, remember. That, exactly. Um, and that that really probably messed me up the most. You know, the, I was so desperate to get the to get the mem memory back. Um, and then a few years in, they said, look, you're probably never going to get our memory back now. Um, some people, it does come back to them within the first year or so. Um, but yeah, mine's never come back. Um, so that's when I got diagnosed with uh, PTSD. Um, and, you know, while I still am today, you know, you don't get rid of it. You just learn to live with it now. Um, I suffer with uh, nightmares quite a lot. And before I could wake up, I could be, you know, pretty scared. I'm not going to lie. They were pretty revolting nightmares I was having. Um, but, but, I've now learned to deal with them a lot better so they don't affect me the same way they would have. You know, if I had a nightmare one night, it could affect me for pretty much the rest of that week because I'd just be thinking about that all the time. Um, and, and now I've learned to take it at base value. I, I know when I wake up, I know it's a nightmare and I can just shut off a bit easier now. Do you take medication for that as well? or Yes, yeah. so, uh, so I take an antidepressant um, 
not too sure what it, if it really does that much or not. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Yeah. Their sleeping tablets. I'm on quite a few sleeping tablets because that's my issue. I also suffer with chronic pain as well, so sometimes that gets gets me up in the night. So if I can uh, medicate most nights, let's say. When was your so when you were told that you were potentially never going to be able to walk again? Um, what sort of stage was that? Was that? It's really early on. Um, okay. And they didn't. Okay. So it wasn't. It wasn't like a surgeon saying it to me. I can't remember who did. Um, but it was very early on when they didn't actually know too much about what was going on. Um, all they knew is that my legs weren't doing what they were supposed to at that point. Um, and now I can walk. Um, so, well, I've been in a wheelchair for a long time um, and I'm still in a wheelchair most of the time, but around the house and stuff like that. I had back surgery last year, which helped quite a lot. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so, so I've managed to be able to get up on my legs, get around the house a bit and stuff like that. Um, I've just got to be very careful because I've got no sensation in my legs. Um, so, well, I've stood on nails and the nail's gone all the way through before and I didn't realise. So. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so you just got to learn to, to walk with your head down. What's <laughs> <you're doing? laughs> no, but that's amazing. And that's, that's after how many years is that? Uh, Martin, that you started. So, so, so I learned to walk in rehab with calipers on and crutches, but it wasn't, I wouldn't really call it walking, it was just upright moving around. <laughs> um, very painful, didn't want to do it. Um, and, and it's still painful now, you know, um, so that's why I can only do short distances. Um, but, but yeah, I've been, majority of my life since injured has been in a wheelchair. Um, so it's good to get up and uh, and be able to walk around a bit um, without too much pain or anything else going on. That's good. That's amazing. Um, right. Now I'm going to get into <laughs> which is something very personal to me as a powerlifter, as a deadlifter. So you've been through all this trauma and this yeah. is why... I said at the very start, I feel very honoured to have you on the, on the show today um, because you've been through all this trauma and you're still going through this trauma now. When did you decide to start lifting ridiculously heavy weights? <laughs> um, probably have to go back to, to, to towards the end of my rehab. Um, as I said earlier, you know, I didn't engage in rehab, rehabilitation. I didn't get on with it. Um, and then I met a, a, a certain person called Ash Clare who worked for a charity called Battleback. And they are basically there to take injured soldiers out and do adventure training with them. So picture this scene. It was October in England. He took me down to a lake and he told me I was going water skiing. I was like, no. Hey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so we went down to this. It was a home of uh, the disabled water skiing and wakeboard um, lake. And he threw me in. It was freezing. Um, took me around the lake and got out. I was like, no, nah, that ain't for me. <laughs> That's not enjoyable. <laughs> I was like, you can forget that. Um, but then a few weeks later, he actually took us out to Cyprus where we did it again. 
And I was like, oh, this, this is quite good, actually. Um, so I could get used that, to this, right? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and this is probably the start of my real re- re- rehabilitation for me. Um, finding a love and a passion in something. And uh, yeah, I did it for a while and I decided that I wanted to become a structure so I could help others, uh, other disabled people out. And so I got all my, all my quals and everything, did that for a while. And I bumped into a man that, that was down there skiing. And he was like, um, I also do, uh, he also does rowing at Guildford. He was like, you should come along and have a look. Um, so I went along, got in the boat, decided I was quite good at it. Um, a few years later, I had three British indoor rowing titles. <laughs> um, so he wasn't bad at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> then, then around that sort of time, um, Invictus came on TV. And me and my partner were watching it. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. You know, like, and she was like, well, don't you? And I was just, oh, you know, I just pushed it away. Like, mm. I love that. Um, I absolutely love that. I love yeah. that because there's probably so many people out there, especially blokes that'll sit there. They'll watch yeah. either, it could be any kind of sport. Yeah, I could do that. I think there's so many guys that I do that. I'd do that anytime. Uh, yeah, yeah, do you know what? Signing me up, but you know what? It's a shame that I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then my partner, without me knowing, went behind my back and put my name down for it. Brilliant. So I, I kind of had to close my mouth a bit and uh, do something. So, um, I tried, well, I did lots of sports, actually. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was almost back to having that family from the army um, with, with like-minded people that we could just, you know, take the mickey out and, and you know, that's what it's all about, really. Um, and we went out to Canada for the first one in Toronto. Um, my first event was the shot put. Um, wasn't very good at it. It was only just doing it for, you know, just see how I got, and I got bronze and okay, yeah, but it broke me. Like literally emotionally, it broke me. I was, they were trying to do a bloody TV interview for me and my eyes were just streaming. And I was like, oh, man, stop crying. (laughs) But, you know, it was, I I think it was a very, it's a very special thing in Victus's and, um, you know, I think at that point I realised I could actually be somebody in life. Um, and then I went on the next year. And we Martin, Martin, let me just uh, just ask you a quick question on that. So you just said to me at that point you felt like you could be somebody. But yeah. even after everything that you've achieved and all the trauma and everything that's happened in the army, you were still thinking that it's something that, I can achieve and I can do, I can be somebody. I find that incredible. For me, um, I don't really know how to put it in words, but I just felt that the person I was when I was blown up is gone. You know, that person is is not there now. Um, I had real bad anxiety, especially around military. You wouldn't believe the amount of anxiety I had. And um, my, my partner's actually in the RAF. Um, and the first thing she bloody did is took me to camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it took me to a massive rugby ground as well. It took me twicking on for Army Navy, and I, it was so <laughs> uncomfortable. But but you know what? It, it it was the foot up the boot, the the foot up the bomb that I needed um, to to get me there. Um, and yeah, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard to put in words. I was I wouldn't say I wasn't enjoying life at that point because I was still doing the water skiing and the rowing. Um, it, and I can't really express what I truly mean by it, but it just it just made me feel that you know there's a purpose for me, okay. um, and I felt I felt like I was a val a, a, a valid individual, you know, like. Um, so yeah, we did that, and then we went out to Australia as well. I was lucky to get selected. And I came away from both with, I think, 13 medals. So, I did, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the point where you turned around and said to your partner, I could do that. I think you proved that, haven't you? <laughs> I don't think many blokes would be able to do the same. Yeah, it was probably the only reason why I got medals. I probably would have given up halfway through. I've got to prove her wrong. I've got to prove her wrong. <laughs> um, and, and then... Yeah, so, so we were training for Sydney and we went to a training camp. I think it was a powerlifting training camp down in Bath at the university. And one of my mates that was competing there with us, his friend came along and he took one look at me. He was like, you're a big dude, you should try the strongman. And to be honest, I was, with, you know, I, was, I smashed him with Invictus anyway. It was training camp nearly every other weekend. It was crazy. Um <clears throat> So, so I just put it off, and kind of made excuses and get badgering me. And I was like, oh, I'm, I can't this weekend. Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, but then I ran out of excuses. I was like, I'm going to have to do this. So they held me, I think it was Britain's Strongest Man. And I went along and the whole idea of me going along was to just to have a look. I've never trained Strongman up till this point. Um, obviously did a lot of powerlifting and stuff like that. So physically I was quite strong. Um, so I thought, go down there, have a look, see what it's all about, see if there's, you know, if, if, if I'd like to do it. Uh, so we got down there, went to the inn, and I walked away with second place. So I was like, you know what, I should probably do this. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. You just, you, you just keep on proving everyone wrong, Martin. It's, a, it's just incredible. I just, I, yeah, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that, that I've had these opportunities, really. Um, you know, I know they don't come around every every two minutes. So I have been very lucky with with people around me and, and sport groups and stuff. Um, so, yeah, you know, I came second. I was like, oh, there's probably something in it. Maybe I should start training. I, and it just so happens <laughs> to be one of the events, one of the events at the first event, was the first time we ever did seated deadlift. And the frame we were doing it on is not like what we use today, but it, it, we were just trying out things because disabled strongman is quite a new sport, really. It's only been around for seven, eight years. Um, and it was very small to start with and only only over the last few years we're getting a bit more notoriety now. Um, so, yeah, we, we came to a seated deadlift and I think the person that came second to me did about 13 lifts or so and I did like 23 or something so I was like oh <laughs> um, and that's really where the deadlift came about and then obviously watching Eddie Hall break the 500 
And I was like, I need to go one better than him. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think, see, I think watching Eddie Hall, it's just, just that one video when you actually see him go up and you just see he's literally put everything he's got, every ounce of his energy, his focus. It is just amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. It, yeah, he is. Um, and I was actually lucky that the, so not last year, the year before, we went to the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic in Arnold Ohio. Classic. Um, and this is where I was going to go for 501 kilos, which was, which was the biggest lift anyone's ever done in a seated deadlift. It just so happened that, that Eddie might have been standing in front of me when I broke his record. <laughs> a bit like when Arnie, Arnie was standing there when uh, when he did his deadlift, didn't he? Remember yeah. the Arnold Classic? <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, I got the opportunity, a good friend. Uh, he's the owner of uh, a gym called The Gym. Um, at, or at The Gym. Um, uh, he contacted me one day and said, look, uh, we're doing Somerset Strongest Man. We'd like to have you over for an exhibition Guinness World Record attempt. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, so we went down there and did 505 kilos. Uh, got the, we got the Guinness World Record. Um, and I didn't really think about going any heavier at that point. Um, you know, I was quite under 505. Um and then, and then just through training and stuff, you know, I, I, physically I was getting a lot stronger. And so last year when we went out to the Arnolds, which very nearly didn't happen because of coronavirus, we didn't have no spectators in there. <laughs> None of the expo was there, but they, we still got managed to compete. Um, and then I actually got Eddie Hall over again to referee at this time, and I did 550. Incredible. Um, Incredible. Yeah, you know, that, that took a lot out of me. Um, my eyes were bloodshot for about a week afterwards. Um, couldn't see straight for about two hours. It all just clouded up. You know, when, you, when you're putting that strain through your body, it, it's, it's crazy. So I saw, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, actually, I saw your 520. You'd done a 520, didn't you? First you did a 510, and then you'd done a 520 at a competition where you broke it. Yeah, so that was uh, in Canada at the Worlds. So I, I saw that. Say that again, sorry. Oh, my peck on that lift. On the 520? Yeah, yeah, I saw my peck. See, I was just about to turn around and say to you, I saw that lift and I just thought, wow, that was easy. <laughs> but, it, but it was quite an easy lift. Yeah. Um, it was an easy lift. I don't know why my, top, my, my, my peck tore or anything like that, um, it, it went up nice. And when I put it down, I could just feel, you know, almost, you can almost feel the strands pinging as it, as it goes down the peg, um, yeah. which kind of ruined my competition up. But, mm. but I got a world record, so it wasn't all you, so bad. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, and you made it look easy. But yeah, yeah. With, with peg tears are not nice. Um, I had one a few years ago. Uh, and uh, yeah, as, as I was benching, it, I just felt this almighty spasm come right up yeah. and it felt like it was right up against my neck. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. And to be honest, the pain wasn't too bad as in the following day, but it was only the day after 
no, a couple of days after when my biceps started going black, I do realize that actually I've done a bit of damage here. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so that wasn't a good point. Okay. Um, uh, I did my rotator cuff a few years back in front of the British Paralympic powerlifting coach. No way. <laughs> it came years um, because I had a fairly big lift. Um, I was still new in the game, but I was benching like 200 kilos. Um, yeah. uh, and then the, he came down to watch me in the middle of the lift. Yeah, my rotator cuff. <laughs> he still offered me a job. <laughs> he still offered me a slot on the team. But uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I haven't quite got over that quite yet. I still get a few niggles in that. Yeah, I think a rotator cuff, they're, they're always, they're, they're probably the worst ones, aren't they? They're horrible. They're just niggly. <laughs> Even when you think, even when you think you've got over it, all of a sudden, six weeks down the road. Oh, by the way, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, what's next, Martin? So, five fifty is done, right? Which is, it's a madness. So, the best I've ever done, I've pulled up uh, two fifty-two. I'm very proud of that because it was just over the two fifty mark, and I got that a few years ago. So, I'm yeah. aspiring. To get to 300 so i think i'm going to be picking up the phone to you and saying how do i get to this 300 please um on a regular basis so be aware of that but what about for you what's next for you uh i'll oh, just double yours <laughs> <laughs> the next target <laughs> um when i came back from the arnold's uh well actually it, while doing the lifts in the arnold's um didn't quite realize how much the people gave me adrenaline um so when i did the 250 it went up and it was it was heavy don't get me wrong but it, it surprised me just how fast and easy it went up um as soon as i put the bar down i should have gone heavier <laughs> so, I put, so i came back um and i put a video out before we went in lockdown with the next two-year plan is to hit 600 that is absolute madness absolute yeah. madness but if anyone could do it from talking to you today but if anyone could do it you definitely can do it um, yeah you know like training's gone well and stuff at the moment so we're, we're on track good good um and lastly uh, before we um before we call it so the whole point of this podcast is for talking to people that have overcome some kind of adversity you've overcome massive amounts of adversity and you are just a massive inspiration um for what you're doing and the motivation that you give that you give to people i'm not sure whether you know that because i am totally motivated by yourself it is just incredible and you know like i said it's it's just amazing from your journey your whole life journey everything you've been through and what you've achieved and what you're carrying on, even still living with PTSD, talking to you, it doesn't seem like that there, there is no barriers. And that's what's really, really incredible. So if there is people out there, as you are aware, with regards to mental health, especially men's mental health at the moment, if there is a message that you want to give to people that are suffering, what message would that be, Martin? Get yourself into the gym. Within a week of going to the gym, you'll have a very different outlook on life. Don't be afraid 
to take that first step. That's always the hardest step when you're going through a gym. I know when I first started going through that door terrified me because I thought everybody was staring at me. And um, yeah, now when I walk into a gym, everyone is staring at me because I'm lifting twice what they can lift. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so that really is, a, you know, like, it doesn't have to be powerlifting, weight-related, any sport. Just get yourself into it. You know, we all know that it releases endorphins into your system, which makes you feel happier. But, but it, it will give you so much more than that. You'll get to meet like-minded people, you know, you, you, you don't have to go into massive detail with if you don't want to. Or, or you'll find you'll find someone that, that that's fantastic for you and maybe a training partner or something. And, you know, it will just change your whole outlook on life. Perfect. Thank you, Martin. And I think I think just touching on that point, I think when you go into the gym, depending on what gym you go into, but the majority of the time, I think, especially for beginners, they go into... I remember when I first went into the gym, I started my body weight, my first competition, I was at 60 kilo. I'm a little bit heavier than that now, closer to more 100, to be honest. Um, but when I first started, I started off just bench pressing, just the bar. And I thought to myself, do you know what? Everyone's looking at me. But no, it wasn't that. It was people actually coming over and they were actually supporting me saying, oh, are you new to it? Why don't you try this, try that? And it's it's that community sort of, it's that that friendship that you start building a lot like your army days where you're yeah. sort of in you're, you're in it for the same reason yeah. um so yeah massively massively agree with what you've said there um and that's it really so martin once again keep on lifting keep on inspiring and i'll be in touch very very soon to uh for tips to get to my 300 kilo and i look yeah, forward yeah. to seeing your 600 very very soon Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. You take care of yourself. All the best. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.